is a very uh, big and warm welcome to everybody tuning in or here this evening. It's great to have old friends with us again. We're really pleased to have you joining together with us in this time of united worship. Just flag up one uh, notice as we had uh, the start this morning. We're looking forward to our prayer time on Thursday. We're going to be uh, thinking of praying in respect of the coming in of the new year, the passing of the old year. Lots to pray about. John Hitchcock's going to be leading it for us, going to be breaking it up into different sections. So it doesn't lend itself so much for live stream. So it won't be a live stream, but it will be a good time to be here. So if you can be here and join together in that time of prayer, you'd be most welcome on Thursday. Well, it's been a special weekend, good weekend, lots of different ways, a weekend with quite a few services here, and uh, so the service this evening is going to be just slightly different, uh, it's going to have more of a reflective tone in it, is the aim, and that's the way in which Mark is going to do his main message later on. He's also going to introduce uh, the reading, we're going to be in Isaiah 9 especially, but Isaiah 8 and 9, and Mark's going to introduce that for us before he reads a little bit later on. And we're also going to do it a bit differently in terms of after the first hymn, we're going to have our prayer time. And what we'd like to do in the prayer time is just have a good number of people pray brief prayers. Uh, maybe there's something that you feel especially thankful for or something you've been thinking about or something in carol or Bible verse has been on your mind and uh, you might just want to pray briefly in uh, the light of that. It would be good to have a, a good number of people pray at that time after our first hymn. Which leads us on to our first hymn and the first song we're going to be singing uh, this evening is God sent his son. God sent his son. So that's what we're thinking of this weekend particularly and as we go through this song we'll be reminded of many of the things that flow from that and the confidence it gives us. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive. So shall we sing it together?
it would be good then to have a good number of us pray. Roger's going to pray first and others please follow on. Thank you, Roger. Our loving Heavenly Father, as we have been reminded as we sung that first song, you live forever. You sent your Son to this earth as a baby in a manger. You lived on earth as a boy and as a man. His example is written for us in your word. And then, dear Lord, through your plan, he was sacrificed for our sins. But he rose again and he lives forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O Lord, that he came as a baby to Bethlehem, as we've been thinking over these recent days. And we pray, O Lord, that we might know that blessing which comes from believing and trusting in the risen Christ. O Lord, you came as a baby, you lived a simple life, and you died so that each of us that believes and trusts in you, each of us that have had our sins forgiven, O Lord, have been saved by your grace, and will be with you one day in glory. Lord, hallelujah, what a saint. Darkness, 
and we pray for your light to shine. Amen. And Father, we thank you so much for the, the name that you gave to your Son, our Saviour. We thank you that he is the rescuer and that he came to save us from ourselves and from Satan and from sin and from eternal condemnation. And we pray for any who are lacking in assurance, and we pray that you would help them to take Jesus at his name. Uh, we pray for any who are trying to save themselves. And again, we pray, Lord, that they would go to Jesus, who is the Saviour. Uh, and Lord, we pray for those who, who are saved. And Lord, may we not be indifferent or cold or half-hearted uh, to all that Jesus has done for us. Lord, may we have such joy and such praise as we join with the angels and the shepherds um, and uh, those involved in that first Christmas, um, Lord, uh, their, their worship and their praise, uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, shall we carry on in the spirit of worship as we sing our second song, a song which enters into some of the, the wonders and mysteries in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God.
So, Christmas is over. Boxing Day is nearly done. Sorry. Uh, because I work in a, a shop part-time, uh, I meet a lot of people just after Christmas. And one of the most common things uh, people say to me is, um, just goes so quick, doesn't it? All that build-up for that. There's a, there's a sense of anticlimax for a lot of people. There's kind of so much hype for Christmas, isn't there? We kind of hype it up and up and up for so long. And for so many people, Christmas can't quite match the hype. For retail staff, uh, you might get a couple of days off, and then it's back to work. Uh, if you're an essential worker, you might not get any time off over Christmas if you, if you work over it. And uh, Christmas presents and parties, and music, and all these things are fun, I love them, um, but but too quickly, we're looking in the rearview mirror at them, aren't we? Too quickly, it's gone, uh, their sort of history, and, and when the real world hits us again, nothing has changed. I mean, we might have some nice pens that we can write some lovely new notes with, or we might have a, a, a cosy dressing gown for those winter's mornings, uh, and it makes things a bit better. But when, uh, when depression strikes, or when, um, when you're shocked at the, the news stories that you read, or when you're just feeling lost in life, or when grief just overwhelms you, these things just don't have any remedy, do they? But Christmas, without all the, the frilly bits, as it were, has a message for even the darkest of times... And the darkest of places. How can I say that with so much confidence when there's so many things that I personally have not experienced? Well, it's because God gives the message of Christmas into the darkest place, one of the darkest times. We're jumping back this evening in history to Isaiah 8 and Isaiah 9. It's to around 700 or so B.C., And spiritually, things are as dark as it gets. It describes uh, the Lord of Jacob hiding his face from his people. It's as if God's saying, no, you're not going to see my face. He's doing it in judgment. The people are still seeking guidance, but instead of seeking it from God, many of them are going to mediums and necromancers. And God accuses them. He says, why are you inquiring of the dead for the living? They're described as people who have no dawn. No dawn is coming because they refuse to listen to God. And so God says, you'll be distressed and you'll be hungry. They will look to the skies and they will speak contemptuously about God and their king, it says. They'll be enraged. But then when they look back down to earth, the Bible says they will find distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And this darkness and this anguish are very real because the Assyrian army are on the prowl. And the Assyrian army are vast and they are vicious. They are uh, totally overwhelming They destroy everything that they come into contact with and they are taking people and nations into captivity by droves. So this anguish is is not just picture language. This is all very real for them. But there is still a small remnant of people that are still waiting on God. They're still hoping in God. A small number of people who are facing exactly the same terrors as everyone else. The experiences they're going through are the same as everyone else. But they are looking to God's promises in the past to give them hope for the future. They're not looking just at the current situation. They're looking at God's promises in the past to give them hope for the future. And so they are a people of hope. And God is about to turbocharge their hope as we move across the chapter border from chapter 8 into chapter 9. And the Christmas story comes into view. 
But this week I was watching the, uh, the Hope Explored trailer on the uh, uh, Forest Fold social media. Uh, if you're interested in uh, Hope Explored, do have a look at that and get in touch. Um, Rico Tice says this in the film. He says, there are few emotions more powerful than hope. It's the spark inside you that brings a smile to your lips, a light that shows on your face, a feeling that lifts your head and pulls you forward. These days, hope like that often feels hard to come by. Well, maybe hope does feel hard to come by for you at the moment. Maybe you can relate just to in part to what the the people of God are are going through. Well, Christmas gives hope to us by the bucket load. And uh, my prayer is that as we meditate on Isaiah 9, uh, verses 1 to 7 this evening, uh, that it will sort of ignite a spark within us again, uh, that it will lift up our heads, that it will put a smile on our face, and that it it will pull us forward again. As we come to the end of a year, as we start a new year, that it will kind of pull us forward So I'm going to start the reading uh, in chapter 8 to get a little bit of the background. We've just had a bit of it, uh, and then we'll move into chapter 9. And uh, these verses, especially the ones in chapter 9, I've seen them everywhere this year. They seem to be particularly prominent. We've had them on our slides. They've been on so many cards. I've seen uh, they're on the uh, homepage of Bible Gateway, so a lot of places. So this is uh, Isaiah chapter 8, and starting from verse 16 says this, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upwards. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into deep, uh, thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he had brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder... The rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it. With justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Well, before I say more, we're going to sing. 
And we're going to sing, uh, the first line is, what is our hope in life and death? And uh, the uh, song gives us the answer, Christ and Christ alone. This is where our hope comes from. Oh, sing alleluia, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing alleluia, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Let's sing. But as we start, chapter 9, a great light bursts through. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. I've been on a couple of evening walks recently, and uh, it's been dark, and it's been incredibly gloomy. And the street lamps are on, um, 
Uh, and they sort of do their best to light up the roads, but there's almost like a, a bowl of light where it, it can't quite penetrate the fog. Uh, and it's just incredibly dark. And, um, and it made me think of, of what's going on here, but it also made me remember some of the walks I've been on um, in the summer, where I've done exactly the same walk, and the sun is blazing hot, and I've had to wear sunglasses because it's so bright. And uh, everything just looks so vibrant. Everything's uh, alive. You can see so much more. And, and this great light that we see in verse 2 has come to banish the gloom. This light brings with it life and goodness. And it brings hope and joy for the people. We see that in verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. There's joy and there's rejoicing. And it was the same sort of joy that farmers would feel when there was a bumper harvest. And they would get plenty of food in and and they would think, yes, we've got enough food and we'll have enough money for the year ahead. It's going to be a good year. And it was a sort of joy that uh, armies experienced when they were victorious over their enemy. uh, And they gathered the spoils together and they shared it out. It's the same sort of joy that you get when you pass your driving test. Or the sort of joy you get when you get that job that you've been striving for for years. And finally, you get it. Well, what a, what a contrast to the anguish and the distress of chapter 8. What was the difference? What had made the difference? Well, the difference was that God was on the move. He was going to send his answer to their problem. He was going to send his answer into the darkest, gloomiest situation. And his answer is a baby. It's a child. It's a son given as a gift. And this baby changes everything. This baby changes everything. This child is the light of the world who will force darkness to retreat. And the darkness will not overcome the light. This child is going to bring light to the darkness. He's going to bring hope where there is only fear. He's going to bring joy where there is only anguish. Freedom where before there was captivity. Life where there was death. Now, I love the lion, the witch and the the wardrobe. I'm sure most of you know the story well. If you don't, I recommend you watch it or you read it. Um, It's a story picture, really, of some of the things that we're looking at tonight. And uh, you'll remember, if you know the story, that when Lucy first goes into Narnia, she meets Mr. Tumnus. And uh, it's very snowy. And uh, Mr. Tumnus is the fawn who tells her in very hushed tones about the white witch. And he says this, It is she that has got all Narnia under her thumb. It's she that makes it always winter. Mr. Tumnus tells Lucy, Always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. It's a place Narnia is. uh, It's a place that seems beautiful at first. But the children very quickly realise that it's a place that's gripped by the icy cold nature of evil. Um, The whole of Narnia is under a curse. It's always winter there. There's no lush greenery there. And there's there's no laughter. There's no optimism there. It is gripped by a curse. And then one day, uh, during the children's, uh, children's adventures, uh, they hear a sleigh bells. And they run for their lives because they think it's the white witch chasing them. And it's not. Children, can you remember who it was? Don't have to, actually, can anyone tell me? Remember? It's Father Christmas. It's Father Christmas it was on the sleigh. And I remember as a kid, I always, I always thought it was a bit strange that Father Christmas was in Narnia. And it almost seemed a bit cheesy to me. And I thought, why is he there? But do you remember what he shouts out to the kids? He says this, I've broken through at last, he cries. She has kept me out for a long time, but her magic is weakening. 
Aslan is on the move. A Merry Christmas. Long live the true king. You see, it's a picture of Christmas finally arriving. Why? Because Aslan is on the move. Aslan has come. The true king of Narnia has come to Narnia. And what happens? Well, quite a few things happen, but the snow starts to melt. The ice starts to crack. The rivers start to flow. The flowers start to bloom. Uh, Suddenly you can see uh, green uh, lusciousness. That's a word everywhere. Um, The birds start to sing. You can hear laughter again. People are chatting happily. Everything's changed. Spring's arrived. And it's all because Aslan, the true king of Narnia, has come. And in Isaiah's time, it was sort of similar. It was always winter, but never Christmas. The king had not yet arrived for them. And at Christmas, the true king of the world is coming into the world. And the darkness is going to be lifted. The curse is going to be broken. The the curse of the the evil one will be broken. And, And it will usher in a new season of spring and joy and shouts of happiness will be heard once again. This child will be king and the government will be upon his shoulders, Isaiah tells us. He will rule in goodness and light. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, in Isaiah's day, they look forward to the true king coming. In 2021, we look back to the king coming this child that we, we celebrate coming into the world is the true King Jesus, baby Jesus, King Jesus. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Just want us to take a few moments just to soak in those names. Wonderful Counselor, Wonderful Counselor. Well, the people in Isaiah's day had wanted advice, hadn't they? And where did they go? They went to the dead. Well, we might fare slightly better than that. I hope we do. We might go to the living. And, uh, and there's a lot of wisdom in that. God gives us each other to, to learn from each other, to share, to teach. There's a lot of wisdom there. But, but so often we don't and we cannot know the answer. And, and so what do the best friends do? Or what do the best advisors do? Well, they point us up to to the king. They point us to Jesus and they say, well, ask God. He'll know. See what what he says. Because he's a wonderful counsellor. Now, wonderful here doesn't just mean very good like we tend to use it. So, for example, you might go to your daughter's carol concert and you might say, oh, it was wonderful. Or you might eat a meal that was cooked by a friend of yours and you might say it was wonderful. But in the Bible, wonderful means more than that. It sort of means incomprehensible. It's sort of so amazing, so special that we can't get our heads around how amazing it is. And it leaves us sort of full of wonder, essentially. It's, It's something supernatural. And Jesus is a wonderful counsellor. He always knows what's right. He always knows what's best. He always knows what is the best path to take. And we should listen to him. But I do have just a quick word of warning. You see, Jesus' counsel might not always seem very wise to us. Might not always seem very wise. He grew up as a baby. And uh, he had, well, with the power that he had, he could do anything he wanted He could have had the world at his feet. And yet quite quickly he talks about dying. And not just dying, but being put to death. And you almost feel feel like saying, Jesus, people from Isaiah's day have been waiting over 700 years for you to come. They've been waiting for the Messiah, and now you say you're going to die? And of course this is what Peter struggled with, isn't it? 
You're not going to die, Jesus. We're not going to let that happen. And, and of course, other people looked at it and it seemed like foolishness. And yet, of course, now we look back and his death and his resurrection are a central part of the most wonderful plan ever conceived. We might not always understand what he's doing. We might not always understand his counsel. But he is trustworthy and he is worth listening to. And uh, I wasn't really planning on saying this, but it's, uh, it's a word of warning to those of us who lead or organize that it can be very easy to, to do things logically how we think it should work. But actually, we need to make sure that it's in line with what God's saying. And sometimes God doesn't always say what we think. So it's a lesson for us and for me. So he's the wonderful counsellor. Let's listen to him. He's also the mighty God. He's the mighty God. Well, at Christmas we celebrate the birth of a baby who would have needed looking after. But we also celebrate the coming of a mighty God who looks after us. Listen to what this mighty God does for his people in verse 4. It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Whereas the mighty God, he defeats his enemies easily. He's the great liberator. He frees us. And, and when it talks about Midian there, it's, it's showing us that just as God crushed the Midianite horde, do you remember in the, in the story of Gideon? Just as God used just a very small group of people to destroy that vast horde, so he will crush all his enemies. And, and the Israelites, they knew very much what it was like to have enemies. And they knew what it was like to be in bondage, to have a yoke on their shoulder, to have a rod beating their backs. They knew the reality of that very much. And the mighty God is going to break the rods of the enemy and he's going to liberate his people. And this is what Jesus does for us. He liberates us. He frees us. He, he breaks the rods of our enemy and he frees us from the oppression and slavery of the evil one. There's no, there's no enemy that's too great for him. There's no opponent that's too cunning for him. There's no challenge that's too much for him. He's the mighty God. And that means that we can hide behind him. And we can trust him. And we can enjoy the freedom that he gives to us. He's the mighty God. But he's also the everlasting father. He's mighty, he's all-powerful, and yet he's tender towards his children. He's concerned for the helpless. And like a, a good father, there might be times when he disciplines us, but he does it out of love. And he's a father to the fatherless. And as an everlasting father, he loves us unconditionally, and endlessly. And no problem is ever too small to take to him. And for some of us, I think that is a very special comfort, maybe especially at the moment. He's the everlasting father who is, is always there. He's always ready to listen. Always ready to love. He's always watching us. Always seeks to to bless, always ready to comfort. He knows and he cares. He's the everlasting Father. He's also the Prince of Peace. Jesus' his kingdom is a, a Prince of Peace. Isn't that what we long for? People of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah's day would have longed for this. With the Assyrian army on the prowl, don't you think they would have longed for peace? Imagine uh, opening your newspapers tomorrow morning, or you open the news app on your phone, 
And uh, there's not a single story um, unless it's peaceful. Well, there's no stories that aren't peaceful, if that makes sense. Imagine how empty the news would be. Jesus' kingdom will be peaceful. But it's important to note that he won't be peaceful in getting it. Peace comes through victory over the enemy. That's how peace is achieved, through victory. And uh, Dower of Davis puts it like this. He says, Prince of Peace does not mean that the prince is peaceful, but that he has the power to bring and enforce peace, even in a world where many don't care to have it. See, we live in a world, don't we, where so many people just don't want peace. It doesn't suit them. But Jesus has the power to bring and enforce peace, and he will, and that is good news for us. And it says in verse 5, it says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. You've got this picture here of Jesus not just being victorious over the enemy, but, uh, but destroying every item that is used for war. In other words, Jesus is, is bringing an end to war. Jesus ends war. Jesus will win. His kingdom will be triumphant. And he will bring peace. And this is where it gets really special. Because through his blood, we have the opportunity to join his kingdom of peace. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus reconciles us to himself, making peace with us by the blood of the cross. Because you see, naturally, we're not at peace with God. Naturally, we are enemies. And yet, through his blood, we can be reconciled. And we can be brought onto his side, into his kingdom, by the blood of the cross. And if you're not at peace with God, I want to encourage you to look to the blood of Christ because Christmas is about Jesus coming so that he can shed his blood so that you can have peace with him. And you can know the wonder of knowing God and the beauty of that to the praise of God the Father. And it struck me as so I prayed about assurance Maybe, maybe you're young or young in, in knowing about Christian things and, and you think you're a Christian but you're not sure and you're battling with it. I did for years. And, um, and you want assurance. You long for assurance. But the problem is you don't feel like a Christian. <laughs> you don't feel like it but, but you long to be a Christian. I want to encourage you that the answer is in the blood of Jesus. That's where we find assurance. That's where I had to find it because looking in myself, I couldn't find any assurance. And I had to look at Jesus' blood and go, that is how I know I'm a Christian. That is how I know I'm saved. That's how I can have peace with God because Jesus shed his blood for me. And, and if you're in that place of lacking assurance, then I beg you, look at the blood. And, and maybe come and chat to someone as well. And we'll encourage you to look at the blood and what Jesus has accomplished for you. It's wonderful peace that we can enjoy. And our prayer, isn't it, for people around is that they will know the peace of Christmas too. The real peace. Peace of Jesus' kingdom. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I just want to finish just by jumping back to verse 1. I missed out verse 1 at the start. Um, it's a verse that I often haven't particularly understood. Um, but I just want to finish on it. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Why does 
Why does verse 1 mention Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee of the, the nations? Well, the geography of the area really helps us at this point. And I haven't got a map, so I'll try and explain it. But Zebulun and Naphtali were in the north of Israel. And uh, to one side of Israel, they had the sea, and to the other side, they had the desert. And so when armies like the Assyrians would attack, they would attack from the north. They would sort of go uh, sort of up where they were and then back down again along what's called the Fertile Crescent. And so when the Assyrians attacked in their brutality, um, sort of Naphtali and Zebulun, they bore the brunt of it. Um, everything that they had was destroyed. Uh, many of them were carted off. And, and that sort of area was seen as the darkest place. That, that was where things were really, really dark. Now, where does Jesus start his ministry? Well, Matthew 4 tells us. In fact, it quotes the passage that we're looking at tonight. It's right here. Jesus starts his ministry in Naphtali and Zebulun and Galilee of the nations, that area. You see, Jesus deliberately takes his light into the darkest place. That's where, that's where the, the darkness was thickest. And, and the, the places that have been so humiliated and oppressed by uh, others are now honoured by God. I love what Ray Ortland says about it. He says, God came to his people first where they had suffered the most. And from that place, he launched salvation for the world. God came to his people first where they had suffered the most. And from that place, he launched salvation for the world. This is what God so often does. He aims his... A darkness-defeating light into the, the gloomiest of places and the gloomiest of situations. And he shows us himself, he reveals himself to us, the light of the world. Well, I hope that's done us good, just to reflect on that a bit, to think over that. We're, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing a couple of songs and we're going to sing, look to the skies, there's a celebration first. We actually sang it this morning. Um, I hope that now we've sung it this morning, it's fresh in our minds. We can sing it with some real gusto, especially after what we've heard. And then we're going to sing another song straight after. And uh, I've chosen it because of the theme of Jesus reigning forever. So let us stand and reflect on the things we've been thinking about and sing together.
To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord, we thank you for that promise. Lord, we thank you that it is the zeal of the Lord of hosts which we can trust to accomplish it. Lord, we know these things will happen. We can have certainty of the future because of what has happened in the past and because of what you've said. And Lord, we thank you that your kingdom is a kingdom that is growing and that it will reign for eternity. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we come to the end of this year and as we go into a new year, Lord, that the things we've been thinking about tonight will will be a spark inside of us. Lord, that they will lift up our heads and Lord, that they will pull us forward. And Lord, they will give us hope. Lord, help us to hold so tightly onto that hope, I pray. Keep us safe, I pray, as we head off in our different directions. Fill our minds with you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.